Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, August the 25th, 2020, titled The Batman Getting Our Rating. What are the chances? We're glad that you're joining us today, guys. And remember, listening to the podcast, you can also get a comment or question on the live questions part of the show by simply using the tip link in the description of this video. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. Let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Jerome Levesque, who writes, Hi, John, Rob, Aaron, filthy and proud to be since 2013. Well, thank you so much, Jerome. I was listening to John and Rob review the amazing The Batman teaser trailer and got thinking, what an irregular chance for Matt Reeves or any other director in a similar situation to these weird-ass times to get a chance to gather feedback, good or bad, from the public as roughly 25% of his film is actually shot. There's vision for sure, but what a temptation, understandably, it must represent to course correct depending on that feedback. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, of course, we were just talking about DC Fandom and one of the big trailers that dropped the biggest one, obviously, was the Batman. But we also got a behind-the-scenes look at Suicide Squad, a new Wonder Woman 84 look. We got our first kind of samples and tasting of what Black Adam was going to be like. We got the Snyder Cut stuff, all sorts of things. This is something I've had, uh, Rob, actually a surprising number of people uh, writing into me and asking, you know, do you think now that they put up these trailers and they get reaction and now they can go back and they've got time to make changes to their movies as a result of the feedback they get from these uh, trailers? Anything is possible. Anything's possible. Like if you look at this Batman trailer, which, you know, other than a couple of little nitpicks I had, I freaking love this trailer. I just cannot wait to yeah. see what Matt Reeves is doing with this movie. You know, it, it still comes down to the main thing, though. Filmmakers, once they have their, they need to follow their vision. You know, my, my bottom line feeling on this is filmmakers need to follow their vision. And I think for the most part, they do. And they understand the reason that their filmmakers and the rest of us fans aren't is because they know what they're doing. And and they got to follow, because, you know, I think you need to succeed or fail and you got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, I succeeded or fa failing doing what I thought was right. And if it failed, then at least I did my movie and I got no regrets. And if it succeeds, great. All that kind of stuff. But no, I really don't think because here's, here's the problem, Rob. Too many times fans think, and I think we're all guilty of this. I think we're all guilty of this. Fans think they speak for everybody. Fans feel like they speak for everyone. Like I've had people say to me, the fans, John, want, I don't know, X something, X something. And I would often say to them, no, that's not true. I know a lot of fans that in fact do not want what you just said the fans want. The problem is them and all their friends think that way. So they kind of have this perception that all fans must feel this way. So, no, I, especially based on trailers. Now, you'll get a one in a million situation, something like the Sonic situation, 
where they decide to make a change just with a uh, w- with a physical design of something uh, of of the creature, and they went back and did that. Made a bunch of people happy. I didn't think they should have changed it. I thought the changes they made were improvements. So I'll, I'll give them that. I thought the changes they made were improvements, but. That's a one in a million situation. I certainly don't think based on a two minute trailer or something that that showed like whatever that that a director or producer should feel like, oh, these fans got a two minute look at everything. They know what we should do with this movie. So, no. (laughs) And I think we as fans like, listen, there's something hypocritical about us as fans. And I include myself in this where we will yell at studios, let the directors carry out their vision. Let the directors carry out their vision. But then we as fans turn around and go, hey, directors, do what we want you to do. Do what we want you to do. You know what I mean? There's something inherently hypocritical about us. And I I am as guilty as this as anybody. Uh, But there's something that's so, but basically, no, I, I think whatever path, look, James Gunn has already finished shooting his movie. Um, I, I think none of us should second guess Patty Jenkins at this point. Obviously, Matt Reeves has a really good handle on things. I don't think the director should change anything that they're doing based on reactions some people may have to getting the briefest of glimpses at something for two minutes when they have been living with this material for two years. So ultimately, no. And considering how positive a lot of the feedback has been here, Rob, I don't think there'd be any need to make those changes at any rate, unless there was something glaring and obvious, but I, I didn't catch any of that. Rob, how would you respond to something like that? What would your thoughts be as a filmmaker yourself? Well, I think it's it's really hard to understand the filmmaking process and how many thousands and thousands of decisions go in to everything. Like I've heard a lot of people reading wildly different opinions of Robert Pattinson so far in the role. We've heard him say one line of dialogue, you know, which is I am vengeance. And there's people that have (laughs) been talking about his Batman voice. I'm like his Batman voice. He said three words in a scene after he beats somebody up. I've had people say, well, you know, they did it. They did it already like this in Batman V Superman in the warehouse fight scene. And I'm like, actually, no, they they didn't. And I, you know, I, I could get into an argument about the difference when you see a continuous take and seeing somebody pummel someone in the face that fast and how that's actually very different than what we saw in the warehouse fight. But why get into these kinds of things? I, I just think that the problem that fandom has always had, and I know because I have this problem, we in our own minds, <laughs> we all believe that we know best. For whatever our favorite project is or our favorite franchise or whatever. I mean, in the case of Star Trek, it's true. I do know best. <laughs> but 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 I I I also think that that it it's not fair because then that takes away from you know, a, a, an artist who's worked with something and has made those tens of thousands of decisions. When you're sitting in an edit bay, you know what footage you have. You know what footage you don't have. You know why you've made design choices that you've made. I mean, I've seen people bitch about the Batmobile in um, the upcoming The Batman. And if you're a comic fan, you're like, no, no, that Batmobile looks like it comes out of a Neil Adams comic from the mid-70s. That was the 70s Batmobile. Well, if you didn't know that and you had no context, you're going to be like, well, that's not as cool as the Batmobiles in Tim Burton's movies. Well, if you didn't know that – then you're going to say, sure, sure, I don't like that. So the problem is, is that fans sometimes are a little myopic in terms of their viewpoints. And for filmmakers to listen to the 
I mean, the myriad of viewpoints that fans have after watching a two minute trailer that therein lies death. You know, one thing that a filmmaker needs is a point of view and, and an approach that they stick to. Look what happened when the studio decided to pivot on Zack Snyder after. I mean, they second guessed themselves. And when you start second guessing yourself making a movie, you're dead in the water. Now, the Sonic the Hedgehog thing was different because that was a design element that they could actually fix. And and I thought that when we saw the trailer at CinemaCon, it was like, that was not good. <laughs> you know, and part of it was that design. So sometimes, okay, one in a million, you get fans going, yeah, we should do this, and it works. But filmmakers, you've got to uh, th- – these are visions that uh, begin years in advance – And I don't think you can second guess anything by looking at a trailer. Because if you listen to fans, Heath Ledger never would have been Joker. Michael Keaton never would have been Batman. Um, You know, Patty Jenkins probably wouldn't have directed Wonder Woman. So I think more more often than not, we do get good stuff. And that doesn't mean we don't – we as fans don't have a right to critique or to criticize. But like, for instance – I, I love this Batman trailer. There are two little nitpicks I had, which we talked about yesterday, right? I didn't like the Bruce Wayne hair. I don't like him having the longer hair. Right. And I personally didn't like the I'm vengeance line in a live action thing. Do I think for one second that Matt Reeves should go, oh, no, well, I better go and get Robert Pattinson to cut his hair and reshoot that shot. No, absolutely not. Do not listen to me. Matt, I'm just I just saying that I did or didn't like one particular thing, but I'm just seeing a two minute thing out of context. So right. we'll wait and see. You know, please don't change anything based on my criticism. But that doesn't mean you as a fan or I as a fan or all of us as fans don't have the right to say what we like and don't like. Of course we do. Yeah. But we can say we didn't like something and something didn't work for, for us and yet still say, but you know what? We're just gonna we're just gonna wait for the movie to come out. I don't like this right now. I don't like this right now. But and that's cool. Let's see how it actually works in the real movie. And and then let it come and then let it happen. And you know, I I trust Matt Reeves, and uh, I think he's gonna deliver something really really special. But and you know, oh sorry. Go ahead. No no go ahead. Well, you know, like the thing about the hair, I too sort of felt like you did that. It looked a little not what I would expect from Batman. However, if you see it in the context of the whole movie and you you have time to get used to it over the course of the story that they're telling, and maybe it seems more natural based on the film, then it could work. But we're being presented Bruce Wayne hair that we've never seen before in a quick context. And I agree with you. That was a little bit like, that's an interesting fashion choice for Bruce Wayne. Not what I would have expected. But it, and so it, to me, it was something that stuck out in that trailer. But when you see it in the context of, say, a two plus hour movie and you're presented it, it, the character of Bruce Wayne in a way we haven't seen before, maybe that becomes just part of the character and you never you don't even notice it. But in a trailer, you would. So you bump on that as I, as I did a little bit the way you did. That doesn't mean we're wrong, but we haven't been given enough context to get used to it yet. No, and that's exactly the point. And how many times have we all seen things that we didn't like at first, and then we see it in context, and we go, oh, you know what? I really like it. You know, like, I didn't like the animation style of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse right. until I saw the movie. And then I'm like, oh, this totally worked, you know? And so, I listen, I trust Matt Reeves. I think this trailer was spectacular. And and you know what? You know what the funny thing is, too? 
nothing other than like the CGI-ness of Cheetah in the one Wonder Woman 84 trailer. But as a whole, I like the trailer. I, I like just about everything I saw come out of there. So I'm just looking forward to seeing what they do here. Question here is, guys, what do you think about that? Do you have any element that you saw come out of DC Fandom that made you go, oh, I really think they need to change this before the movie comes out? Maybe you can think of a couple. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Eli. And Eli writes, hey, John and crew. Uh, so I was wondering if you heard that Tenet will only be shown in drive-ins if the movie theaters are open in that area. I understand that Christopher Nolan wants people to see his movie in a movie theater, but we are living in strange times. Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, the strangest piece of news came out that I, that I came across yesterday. And it was basically that Warner Brothers let exhibitors know that, yeah, you may see Tenet in a drive-in which is like the one thing that can be open just about everywhere. Like drive-ins are even open in, in California where regular movie theaters are not for the most part, but we're not going to let drive-ins play the movie. If they're, if they're in a city where regular movie theaters aren't open, this comes to us from variety who wrote, but two weeks ahead of its domestic debut scheduled for September 3rd, Warner brothers offered some clarity to exhibitors about its plans for Nolan's latest. The studio issued strict guidelines to drive-in operators across the country mandating that Tenet can only play in outdoor venues, aka drive-ins, if theaters in that particular market are also open. So the basic idea here is that a drive, if you live in a town where the movie theaters are open, which is the case for, for many places across the U.S. and other places, then your local drive-in may be playing Tenet as well. However, if you live in a town where regular movie theaters are not open, like where, Rob, you and I live in uh, the Los Angeles area, then the drive-ins, which are open here, will not be permitted to show Tenet. Given, I like what Eli said in the email saying, look, we are living in certain particular times right now. We're living in particular times right now, Rob, where I think these studios have to understand, hey, for for some of us, going to a drive-in is the real only option we have. Why would you not allow the one lifeline some places have to the movies, which is the drive-ins, why would you not allow these places to show these movies? The folks over at IndieWire actually uh, decided uh, uh, the uh, one of their journalists there, Tom uh, uh, Brueggemann, wrote the following. He said, why Tenet is limiting drive-in screenings? Here's the logic behind the policy. So they, he throws up a couple of possibilities here. One is presentation is critical to Christopher Nolan. That's no secret. And even Eli, you kind of alluded to this in your message here. Christopher Nolan is all about the theatrical experience, and he is hypersensitive about the proper visual and audio presentation that audiences experience his movies with. I'm a fan of the drive-in, but let's let's be honest. The, the drive-in is not the world's best 
exhibition of movies. I mean, we went to go watch Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse at the drive-in a couple of weeks ago. And in the dark scenes, it's hard to tell what's going on. And you're listening to the sound coming across the FM radio, which isn't always the best. And we still had a blast. Don't get me wrong. Christopher Nolan is hypersensitive about how people experience his movies. Okay, there's that. But also he goes on to a couple of things about like pressuring theaters and also protecting theaters that there's also a philosophy behind there to say to the movie theater operators, look, movie theater operators, we are standing with you. We believe in the theatrical experience and we stand with you and we want to do everything in our power to emphasize the importance of the indoor regular theatrical experience. And by the way, if you wanted to know that for sure, just go back to DC fandom and every single panel at DC fandom. All we heard them say over and over again, Rob was in movie theaters, the theatrical experience. Can't wait for you to join us in theaters like they Warner Brothers is very big on this. And I appreciate that. I do. As a fan, as a lifelong fan of the movie going experience, I appreciate Warner Brothers position on this and their philosophy of this and their support of the movie going experience. I do. But Rob, we live in an extraordinary period of time right now. Hmm where you have a lot of fans wanting to support you and have supported you in the past and want to support your upcoming movies and all that kind of stuff that we simply have no other alternative. We don't have the option to go to an indoor theater to go see Tenet. And you're saying that because I can't watch it in the best possible way and under normal circumstances, I would want to. You're saying since you can't watch it in the way we want you to watch it, We're just going to make sure you can't watch it at all. When your neighbor, 15 miles cross state line or whatever, might be able to. So I I find myself in this position, Rob, where I appreciate the idea. But also feeling like you've got to be sensitive to the moment we're in. And just for this moment, you're opening this big movie. And I get it. Drive-ins aren't going to drive a lot of box office. You know, the drive-in theaters make up for about 1.8% of the overall box office totals that gets made in the U.S. I I guess not a huge money thing, but it's just in this moment. I would think you would want to look at it a little bit differently. Anyway, Rob, how do you see this whole situation right now? Well, I mean, you know, for us, we don't have a choice. I mean, we don't have I, we don't have anywhere to go see a movie here if you live in Los Angeles, unless you know you do go to a drive-in. And I, I, I look, there is there is a financial reality about this movie that they can't get away from, and that's and and a two hundred fifty million dollar movie. It needs to make a billion dollars really to break even, and Christopher Nolan gets what twenty percent of the gross. I mean, he's got yep. an incredible deal. So. It's it behooves him to have this movie open across the world in movie theaters so the most amount of people can go see it. But when that isn't a reality and they're opening it at a time uh, where coronavirus cases are going down some places, they're surging in others. What do you do? And and I think what you do in that case is whatever venue people are going to go pay to see this movie, you got to take it. I mean, you really do. Um, then it, otherwise wait to open the movie when more people can see it and you can get more of an audience. I just find it strange that they didn't push the release back further and it's going to become, I mean, by the time you and I get to see this movie, unless we go see it or 
whatever. Uh, how, what's it going to be? Two months, three months, four months away? But I mean, you might as well buy the Blu-ray. <laughs> now, I look at the same time. We, you and I, both know that Christopher Nolan likes to see himself as a champion of movie theaters and of the movie going experience. Yeah. And, and so really are we wa- all. Yeah. And so are we all. He really wants to get tenant out there as soon as possible to really help kickstart everything. And, and I get it because I've been getting a lot of emails from people saying, Hey, I actually tried to go and get tickets for unhinged and my theaters are sold out. I've gotten people writing me saying, Hey, I tried to go get tickets for new mutants. It's sold out. Now, granted, we're talking limited capacity theaters and all that kind of stuff, but I think Christopher Nolan wants to be a part of that, of wanting to be one of the big things that really keeps the the movie going, the movie theaters floating. And I get that. So I understand he wants to release as soon as possible. What I don't understand is that for the limited number of areas, because a lot of the places across the country are now allowed to have their movie theaters open or will be very shortly. Now, whether that's smart or dumb, that's a debate for another time. That's a debate for another time. But considering there's, there's just a couple places, significant places, New York, L.A., I mean, hey, if you're going to open the movie anyway, and we simply don't have our movie theaters open here, believe me, if your movie's good, Chris, if I can call you Chris, if your movie's good, Chris, guess what? I and a lot of fools like me We're going to rush to a drive-in, you know, if we live in an area where there's no open movie theaters, we're going to rush to a drive-in to go and watch your movie. And then, if it's good, when it's opened up in theaters later on, we're going to go back and watch it again in theaters so I can see it in a better presentation. Again, I just don't see the drawback. What's the harm, Rob? That's my question right now. What is the harm of allowing drive-ins to show this if the theaters aren't open. It's not It's not like we have a choice. It's not like they're saying, oh, you know, Los Angeles, you have to choose between having movie theaters open or drive-ins open. And if you make it just drive-ins and we're not going to show... No, no, the, dry, the theaters are closed. There's nothing we can do about that. What is the... Rob, if I had to put it to you and ask you to play devil's advocate here, what is the harm in places where theaters can't be open to let it be exhibited in drive-ins right now? What's the harm? Well, I mean, I don't know if I could say play devil's advocate, but as look, I know where he's coming from because I love I mean, I've been a home theater advocate since the very beginning. Anything that you could do from the time I was a kid getting my first VCR, I've had some kind of surround sound when there really wasn't good surround sound. I love the theatrical experience. But you know what? Most people don't care if they can see the picture and they can hear the movie. That's okay. You know, I'm an audio video file. You know, I have been my whole life, but most people and the, the uh, look going to see a movie in laser projected IMAX with that thunderous sound. There's nothing better. It's orgasmic. It's like having sex with somebody who really knows what they're doing. It's amazing. And I'm not saying you always want to have that experience. Why would you not? But the fact is, you know, you don't always get that kind of experience. And if the, you're going to wait for that, if you're going to wait to have the ultimate experience in the ultimate theater, well, you're not going to see a lot of movies. And there are a lot of people that just want to be engrossed in a great story that'll watch a movie coming out of, God forbid, their TV speakers. And that's okay for them. So what you're doing is you're asking people to forego 
seeing a movie they're interested in unless they have the primo A-list number one experience of seeing the film, whereas most people it's lost on them anyway. What they want is to experience the story and the characters, and that's what they're looking for. I mean, hey, man, when I saw Blade Runner 2049, it was like a religious experience. It was so beautiful and loud, and uh, it was great, and I loved it, and I wouldn't have traded it for the world. But you know what? I also enjoy watching it at home, too. I wouldn't have liked to see it the same way, but most people don't care. You know, and they don't here's, care. The other, here's the other thing they're not taking into consideration because of the moment we're in. Even if the movie theaters in New York, Los Angeles, whatever, were open right now, even if they were open right now, there's going to be a chunk of people out there who may not feel comfortable going into a movie theater right now understandably, given our current circumstances, but would feel much more comfortable or much more secure and safe going to a drive-in, being in their own car. So yep. even if the theaters were open here right now, there would be a chunk of people that would prefer to go to a drive-in at the moment because of the safety issue. Anyway, I just, while I, again, while I very, very, very much appreciate Warner Brothers' overall philosophy here and supporting the movie theaters, you got to take the moment into consideration. And, and I think they're being a little bit short-sighted. Question here is, guys, what do you think about this idea that Tenet will not play in drive-ins unless movie theaters are open in that same city as well? Let me know your thoughts. Jump down to the comment section below and leave your opinions there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three, shall we? And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Kyle... Blasberg and Kyle Blasberg writes, Hey, John, like you, I absolutely loved the Batman trailer with the very dark, gritty tone to the trailer and Warner Brothers clearly having shown a willingness to do rated R comic book films with Joker and Birds of Prey. What do you think the chances are that this new Matt Reeves Batman film will be indeed? rated r all right thanks a lot for saying that in kyle and yeah one probably the number one question i've had since dc fandom rob besides what did you think of the batman trailer has been do you think the batman will be rated r right and this has come in on 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 chats this has come in in the uh in the email submissions this has come in all the time a lot of people are asking what are the chances of this thing being r the first thing i would say is and I touched on this the other day. A lot of people saw that that one glorious moment in the trailer where Batman is just wrecking that fool, right? And people are looking at that and saying, oh, well, that's going to be rated R. I'm like, really? But you don't, Batman's punching a guy in the face. That's rated R? And we don't even see the guy getting punched in the face. That's not rated R. I mean, I've seen much more brutal stuff, Rob, on the Hannibal television show. Uh, I saw way more brutal stuff on the Hannibal television show, not rated R. So I, I don't really think about that. But still, there is that question. Is this something that we can look at right now? Is this something that could actually be a thing in this moment that we're in? And you know what? While I personally think there is no need for this Batman movie to be rated R, none. While I don't feel like there's personally any need for this to be an R-rated thing, there is, there is some legitimate arguments to be made about why it could end up being rated R and why it might not be that bad of an idea. So let's go over here and take a look at this. The first thing I want to look at as a pro to the idea of, of Batman being rated R 
is Joker. I mean, just look at Joker, Rob. They put out Joker R-rated last year, and what was the results for them? Not only was Joker a billion-dollar film, it was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, only the second comic book movie in history to do so, and it won one of the top prizes at the Academy Awards with Joaquin Phoenix winning Best Actor for his portrayal. So that's got to be seen as an absolute pro as to why legitimately Warner Brothers may be looking at it. Another thing is this, doing R-rated stuff. Now, look, I, I'm a big fan of the MCU, big fan of what DC has done and all that kind of stuff, and I just want a good movie out of each. I don't care how they compare, whatever. But, you know, if you want to do certain things to, you know, differentiate yourselves from what the other guy is doing, do, the R-rated material is one of those things because you know what the MCU is not doing, Rob? They ain't doing R-rated material. Deadpool's up in the air, but I still don't think they're going to do Deadpool rated R. But who, who, we'll see there. But it's another thing. That is a good, solid argument to be made for why we could possibly see them do Batman rated R. Another pro I want to throw out there. Not only does it differentiate and make itself unique from the MCU, Doing this Batman is rated R would differentiate it and make it unique from any other Batman movie we've seen. You know, Rob, I've talked on this show recently about how, you know, whenever you do a Joker or a Batman per se, the first thing that the filmmakers do is how do we make sure this at its core, this is clearly the Joker or clearly the Batman, yet a totally different Batman or Joker than you've ever seen on screen before. Still essentially Batman or Joker but still unique and different from any iteration we've seen. Doing an R-rated Batman movie would be not only something to distinct yourself from the MCU, but also from the other Batman movie. Now, that being said, I do think there are a couple of cons to take into consideration here. If we're going to talk the Joker as a pro, look what you can do with an R-rated comic book movie, Rob. Well, then you got to look at Birds of Prey. You got to look at Birds of Prey, which was, you know, what did that movie make? 200 million worldwide, if they're lucky? Maybe. Didn't didn't do great. So if you're going to point at Joker, you got to point at Birds of Prey. Also, there could be the consideration that it's too unlike Batman, because that's kind of tied into the next one. The source material is basically PG-13. You know, I remember when we did an episode of Heroes and John Schnepp talked about this a lot. He said, look, if you know the Batman source material, if you know the true essence of the comics, the comics are PG-13. They really are, Schnepp would say. So not only would it be so unlike Batman, it would really be a departure from the source material as well. So that's one thing. Also, look, look at The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight was considered by some like maybe one of the darkest comic book movies ever made. It was truly dark. It was truly gritty. And guess what? It was PG-13. Now, also, if you want to look at Matt Reeves, I mean, he did his War for the Planet of the Apes, which is quite gritty, you know, kind of dark, apocalyptic in many ways. And he managed to do that PG-13. I think there's a lot of strong arguments to be made here. Now, again, I, I personally fall on the side of there is no need at all for Matt Reeves' The Batman to be rated R, to be as good as it can be. I don't need tits and F-bombs dropped in my Batman movie to make it a better Batman movie. I, I don't think that makes it a better Batman movie. I thought the tone of Matt Reeves' trailer was PG-13. I thought you could do this dark, gritty thing as a PG-13 thing. I think it would be fine. But... 
even though I take that position myself, I acknowledge there are some strong arguments, strong arguments between Joker, something to differentiate yourself from the other films. And hey, by the way, you know what? Let me throw in one more pro. Uh, let's throw this in here. Um, no strings. I could just see see Matt Reeves going, there are no strings on me. You know, just tell Matt Reeves, you know what? Do whatever the F you want, Matt. Now, Matt's probably, he's had that right and he's made his films PG-13, but they could go to Matt Reeves and say, you know what? You want you want Batman and Gordon to show up at a murder scene and there's naked mutilated bodies all over the place? Yeah, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. So, Rob, I fall on one side personally, but I think there are strong arguments for and against the idea of Matt Reese's Batman being rated R. What do I think they're going to do? I think they're going to go PG-13. What do I think they should do? I think they should do PG-13. But those can be two different things. Rob, what do you think about, I guess, my reasoning for what are pros for going rated R, what are cons for going rated R, and what other ones would you add? And what do you think Warner Brothers is ultimately going to do? Well, to be honest, I was pretty surprised by the tone of that trailer. And, you know, Batman, again, that the, the fight scene, the, the beatdown scene, that was pretty extreme. And if you're a kid, like, I wouldn't want my eight-year-old, if I had an eight-year-old, to see something that's that violent. Because one of the things, like, even the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, like, if you watch The Dark Knight, Joker is machine gunning down uh, dudes in that bank heist in the beginning of the movie. There's no blood squibs. You know, and, and, and that consciously, if there were blood squibs, it would have made those sequences a lot more violent. And if you look at the Nolan films, you don't see blood. There's no blood squibs when people get shot or anything like that because that lessens the impact of the actual violence. So tonally, sometimes things are just tonally R-rated. It's, it's the way they make you feel. And this Batman movie, at least from this trailer, looked pretty not kid friendly let's put it that way so i i would say the batman character in general is like you said a pg-13 character um the joker is a homicidal maniac so i think it's okay you can get away with making an r-rated joker movie i think they're gonna have a much more difficult time getting away with an r-rated batman even though they may have no choice I think they've told Matt Reeves to go make the movie that he wanted to make. But, you know, I mean, he made the Planet of the Apes movies aren't exactly a walk in the park. And kids like kids like Planet of the Apes. And those films were pretty heady and they dealt with some some pretty difficult subject matter. So Matt Reeves can go dark and still not go R. I probably if I had to make a guess, I would say these movies are going to be PG-13 skirting the edge of R. But it's because of the expectation in the marketplace of what a Batman movie is. How is a parent going to be like, Mom, I need to go see the Batman. No, you can't see that. It's rated R. But, Mom, Batman's my favorite character. I don't think Warner Brothers wants a revolt of every you know under 10 child in the world when they want to go see a Batman movie. So I think it's going to be PG-13. But I think it's going to be unlike any Batman movie we've seen before. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think we got that sense from the trailer. Again, I, I, I've i just personally yet, I'm not saying there's not a good argument. I just haven't yet heard the argument how making it R would fundamentally make this movie better. And yeah, especially I don't think when you it, look at what they're able to get away with, with a PG-13. But 
I, you know, John, would 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 Return of the Jedi be better if it was rated R? Would Back to the Future be better if it was rated R? Jaws was rated PG. Mm. I mean, I, I don't I don't think a rating necessarily matters. I think what matters is is the story and the characters true to itself. And sometimes going dark for being dark's sake is not exactly the best way to go. Right. But are you after seeing this trailer, are you going to be surprised at all if we find out in like three months that the Batman's going to get an R rating? Are you going to be surprised? No. Yeah, so no. I, I, got, I agree. I wouldn't I'm not going to be surprised either because I, I think there is some significant stuff there. I, I but I do think if I had to put a dollar on it, I think they're going to be going PG-13. And guys, I wanted to know. What you guys thought about this. What do you think about the idea about possibly, potentially, maybe the Batman movie getting an R rating? So I decided to make that the topic of today's question of the day. And the question of the day, I simply put this in the community tab of the YouTube channel. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the YouTube channel so you can get notifications of the community postings as well. Go ahead. Take a second. Go click on that subscribe button. But the question of the day today was simply this. The Batman trailer was certainly gritty. Do you think the movie should be rated R, like Joker, or PG-13, like The Dark Knight? We discussed this today. I put this up just before the show started. Almost 6,000 of you guys have casted votes already. Right now, 62%, 62% of you are saying, so a significant margin, are saying that you think the movie should be rated R. 38% of you are saying it should be rated PG-13. That's where the rating, that's where our uh, poll is at right now. I'm going to leave this poll up for you guys to continue to vote on for the rest of the day if you wish. So going over once again, it's just in the community tab of the channel. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic of the day. And our fourth and final main topic of the day gets submitted to us by our friend Edgar Wainwright, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, Blumhouse has been killing it lately. They absolutely have, especially with Invisible Man. I love that movie. Uh, I just read that John Carpenter is going to be teaming up with them to make another The Thing movie. I know some people get upset with the idea of remakes, but with Blumhouse and Carpenter involved, I think it could be great. What? are your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, first of all, you're right. Bloomhouse has been killing it. Not only have they been killing it with great movies, it's how they're making movies. They're changing the game because Jason Blum, he gets this idea for a movie. Huh? Okay, cool. And then he pulls out all of his winter coats and starts digging through the pockets to find extra quarters and maybe a $20 bill and whatever. He says, okay, here's the budget for the movie. And they make this movie for like $18 and they make $5 million. You know, it's, it's really crazy what he's been able to do. And sometimes it's not just good movies for cheap budgets. It's just great movies. That Invisible Man that we got to see just before the pandemic hit was such a treat. I love, and I think, what was the budget on that? $6 million? Seven million? Yeah, something like that. I think six eight. or seven million dollars. It was crazy what they were able to do. And of course, he, he just did the Halloween movie, which I thought was probably the best Halloween movie ever made, but I know I'm in the minority on that. But anyway, what happened recently was John Carpenter was just being uh, asked. He was at a festival and being interviewed at a festival. And they said, hey, you know, you, you're doing this thing with them for Halloween. Any chances you could direct something for Blumhouse? This is what he said. This is what John Carpenter said. I don't know about that, Carpenter said. But we've talked about, 
I think he's going to be working on the thing, rebooting the thing. And I'm involved with that, maybe, down the road. So John Carpenter comes out and says, and he drops us a little bit of a bomb saying, yeah, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be plugged into the thing. The idea of doing thing. Now, of course, I think it was 2011, Rob, 2011, 2012. They did another The Thing movie with Elizabeth Weinstead, who I love. Um, and it turned out as you got into the movie, you realize it's actually a prequel to the original thing. It actually ends with where the thing begins, which was kind of an interesting little twist near the end. The movie wasn't great, though. Uh, it wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination. But still, here we are. Now, there are going to be the regular, like clockwork, throngs of, why remake anything? There's going to be the regular ones of those. But particularly, you know, there's a lot of love for John Carpenter's The Thing and don't want things remade. Although they quickly forget, Rob, that John Carpenter's The Thing was also in itself a remake. Uh, it in and of itself was a remake and a reboot. But be that as it may. I got to wonder, though, Rob, how many people will have a better disposition towards something like this, knowing that it's number one, Blumhouse, and number two, if Carpenter himself is actually involved. Now, what Carpenter just said is pretty much the extent of the information we have. We don't know if when he says remake, is it truly a remake? Is it a sequel? Is it a, you know, uh, told at a different half of the planet while the events of the first thing are going on? Is it another? I mean, who knows? And John Carpenter, by the way, didn't really explicitly lay out what his role would be, if any, in it. But Rob, knowing that Blumhouse is looking at the thing and that Carpenter is probably going to be involved in some way, shape or form. What's your thoughts on this? Well, look, I love John Carpenter's The Thing. I think it's one of his best films. I think it's one of the great sci-fi remakes of all time. I mean, my triptych of great sci-fi remakes is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Thing, and The Fly. Um, I, I think if they're going to do it, they have to do something new and different. The same way their Invisible Man uh, version was a was a was a reinvention of that mythology. Now, what I would be interested in, I don't want to see a bunch of dudes or a bunch of dudes and girls trapped in uh the antarctic again I, I i who cares what would really be interesting is what happens if the thing gets to ma the mainland like what would happen kind of like so, jurassic park yeah like <laughs> you know you've got you, you you've got a somebody goes back there and and they find i don't know mccready's frozen body along with child's frozen body and somehow the, the thing gets into it starts to spread in our world what would that look like and i i think that would be i mean one of one of the things that they, they there's a really interesting element of the thing that they never dealt with i mean it's in the movie the thing is building its own spaceship in john carpenter's movie you find it in wilford brimley's uh uh uh, cabin and so that means the thing is intelligent like it can, it can get around and what if that kind of intelligence coupled with what the thing is doing gets into a populated area what could that mean i mean you could tell uh, 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 john carpenter calls the thing the first of his apocalypse trilogy you could really get further into that idea i'd love to see that I would love. I just don't know how you do it on an eight million dollar Blumhouse budget, <laughs> but I, 
I certainly would like to see that. And I, I would really like to see physical effects again and, and all of those things. So I'm I'm interested. I was not a fan of their new Halloween at all. Really? And, oh, I thought it was no. the best Halloween movie ever. Oh, I I I looked, I have a I have a long standing relationship with the very first Halloween. I just was not a fan of I understood what they were going for. It was just the way it was done. I, I think the the I liked the story, but I didn't like the way it was Yeah. But ah, it's, I, it's I, the first I, Halloween movie I actually liked, so I'm surprised to hear you say that. No, uh, I I yeah, I, the old the first Halloween meant so much to me when I was younger, mm-hmm. but I just this I don't know, man. I, it's gotta be good because the thing is so classic. And we see yep. it's not easy to make a movie like that. No. So No, it's not. And and you got to have the right hands doing it. And we'll see. Question here is for you guys. What do you think about this? Do you think, hey, listen, so many people today haven't even seen the thing. It's been forever. It could really benefit from updated technology, a new fresh take on the story. Or you're like, hey, you know what? It's just classic. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. Where are you on that right now? Especially when you consider about the players involved if carpenter himself is going to be involved does that change your mind at all jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with all that down let's now move over and start taking your live comments and questions that you guys have been firing in once again you can simply use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video streamelements.com slash movie blog tv slash tip you'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's within reason of course and of course you're going to be supporting this show at the same time. So let's jump on over and start getting to your live questions. We're going to start things off here with Uptown Geek, who writes, Peace from New York City. I was thrilled to hear that the Snyder Cut will be bundled up after its release to be viewed as a complete movie. Do you think that the Snyder Cut will make it to physical media? It would be fantastic. Got to complete my Man of Steel trilogy. Well, I mean, there's a couple things about that. Number one, I don't understand why they need to then put it out again on HBO Max as one complete movie. Because if the four episodes are all there, all I got to do is click a play button and I get to watch it as one complete movie anyway. But okay, more power to you. If you want to put it up as a four-hour version, put it up as a four-hour version. I, I don't know, Rob. My guess is they will not put this out on physical media. The main reason being is what division of Warner Brothers is footing the bill for this? HBO Max. HBO Max is footing the bill to complete this Snyder Cut movie so it can attract people to HBO Max. Putting it out on physical media would seem counterproductive if their goal is to get people to sign up to HBO Max. Because you and I have talked about, Rob, that the lifeblood of all these streaming services is ultimately going to be what is your exclusive content? So I, it could, they could put it out of physical media, but I doubt, I think HBO Max is, is footing the bill on this because they want it to be an HBO Max exclusive. So I, I'm going to say, I, I won't say it's impossible. I'm going to say, I doubt it'll go out on physical media. What do you think, Rob? Well, HBO does have a long tradition of putting stuff out on physical media, they but, do. You know, a, but afterwards, and I think there's some people, I think in the case of Zack Snyder, you know, he likes putting stuff out on physical media and I could see that happening, but you know, it'll be happen like a year later and, and the, the, the market for physical media is dropping precipitously every year. And like you said, uh, most people today, especially younger people, they're not, 
you know, physical media is, as I'm constantly being reminded of, oh, Rob, physical media is so 20th century. Putting a putting a disc into a machine, it's like ancient history. So I, I can see that, that I, I do expect a physical media release, but it's not going to be a priority. Because like you said, they're using this. They want people to sign up for HBO Max. And indeed, you know, they've got HBO Max has a new Ridley Scott science fiction series coming on that I'm actually really excited about. I'm, I'm going to get HBO Max just to watch that series. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to sign up. I can't wait to see the Snyder Cut. They're, they're, they're taking ex- the exact example from what Tarantino did with The Hateful Eight. I mean, he broke it into four hour long parts. There's a precedent for it. So I think it's great. I mean, uh, I think uh, I, I can't wait, to be honest. I'm excited. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, we've got uh, Keaton Toothman, who writes, Well, John, it's over. After six grueling months, I ventured out to the Regal last night to see Unhinged. Oh, that's good for you, man. I even went 15 minutes early just to sit in my very back seat. Only three others in the theater. It was in an IMAX just to be Zen. Oh, John. Uh, I missed this more than I could have known. I slid, uh, I, I slid mask. I guess you mean you slid on your mask, inhaled my popcorn, and every second there was therapy. I'm home again, John. As the lights lowered, my grin was ear to ear. If home is where the heart is, mine is in the theater. Love you all. Well, that's great to hear, man. And I'm a little bit jealous. I have still not stepped foot inside of a movie theater as of this recording. Uh, I have still not been there myself. I am looking forward to it. Uh, deeply and greatly and yeah man there's just nothing like being in the movie theater dude and i'm a little bit envious so you had a chance to go and do that and i'm glad you did again guys if you live in a place where you can't take advantage of it please also make sure be smart about it take all follow all the safety precautions follow all the safety procedures do it smart don't be an idiot don't endanger other people around you uh and, and do it the right way but uh, i'm a little bit envious keton i'm a little bit envious all right Mis- mischievous gremlin writes the first poster for the haunting of bly manor came on uh, the net today that brings up this question i've had for i've heard a lot of good things about the haunting of hill house but i haven't had the chance to watch it uh, have you and what are your thoughts about it? i know my wife loved it rob did you have a chance to watch the haunting of hill house uh, yeah i loved it too and i can't wait to see the the follow-up i thought the haunting of hill house you know it's not like it was totally perfect but there's a lot of really good stuff in it and i liked it a lot do you know much about this this follow-up because i really know almost nothing about i only heard about it for the first time a few days ago no i do not know much about it at all all right well there you go all right next up we go to casey mcnatt who writes Hey, John, this might be an unpopular opinion, but if the Batman does look to become a trilogy, I really hope they leave the Joker out of it. I think it's time for other members of Batman's rogue gallery to shine, starting with a Riddler, Catwoman and Penguin. Well, they're doing that with the first one. I, I just don't know. I Listen, I hear a lot of people say that if you do new Batman stuff, just leave Joker out of it. And you know what? And I, I what I'm going to say is unpopular. I don't agree with that. I agree maybe waiting a little bit. But doing Batman and like, especially if you're looking at doing a trilogy, if you're going to do Batman without Joker, that's like making an Ahab movie without Moby Dick. You know, that's like making a Superman movie, but he's not from Krypton and he doesn't fly. Like to me, the Joker is so intrinsically connected to who and what Batman is that I think if you're doing a, if you're doing a one film, yeah, you don't have to do Joker, but if you're doing a trilogy, I, I honestly don't know how you ignore 
that fundamental part. Joker isn't just another member of Batman's rogues gallery. He is a part of kind of in a, in a sense of juxtaposition. He almost helps define who, what, and what Batman is. And I, I just don't know that you can do a trilogy without bringing that up. It's again, it's, it's like saying doing Aquaman, but he's never in water. You know, I, I, that's just what it feels like to me. Rob, what do you think about the idea of doing a trilogy, a trilogy of films without uh, ever having Batman in there? Well, <laughs> to me, uh, yeah, okay. Um, I, I, I'm always reluctant. I mean, unless you're making Lord of the Rings and you have source material that you could draw from. I mean, you could make a trilogy as long as it's great. I'm all in. As long as it's a great story, well told, with good characters, and it's it's a fully realized vision. I'm in. But it it you know just saying you're setting out to make this kind of a trilogy that's maybe going to have a certain character or not seems premature. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up comes us from Uptown Geek who writes, No Man of Steel 2 thus far. Do you think DC and Warner Brothers might be following a formula to reintroduce their two biggest guns back into the DCEU? For example, uh, Bats in the Flash movie and maybe Superman and Black Adam. Uh, the Rock did hint at Superman and Fandom. I thought he, I personally thought The Rock did more than hint. I thought Dwayne The Rock Johnson in his Black Adam presentation just came this short of just saying, hey, listen, everybody, Henry Cavill as Superman is going to be in Black Adam. I felt like he just came that short of it. Like, I, I felt like that was probably his, like, like telling everybody that he was going to be there. Um, I don't know, because it's not like it's not like Ben Affleck and, and Henry Cavill have been gone for 20 years from the role, right? From, from the universe. I don't know if there's really a reintroduction to be done. I personally think that Ben's appearance in Flash is going to be relatively small and it's going to be a one and done. I hope that's not true. I hope that's not true. And there's a good argument to be made that it, of it not being true. But that's the way I think they're going to go with it. But again, I was disappointed, but only a little bit, because we talked about this in the days leading up to DC fandom. Somebody asked, John, are you going to be disappointed if they don't announce Henry Cavill? I said, yeah, a little bit, but it's we already know he's coming back, right? Like we already like the, the, the major trades all already reported that Henry Cavill and Warner Brothers are already in in the final negotiations of, of negotiating his return. We already know that that's happening. So if they don't announce it at DC fandom, yeah, a little bit disappointed but not terribly because we know he's coming back. So um, I, I don't know if there's any formula there they're following at all. We'll just see. There's so many un, un, unanswered questions here right now. There's a million different possibilities, which is part of the excitement of it all, actually. All right, next up, uh, Jacob Hirsch writes, Hey, gang, why do I feel like they are about to pull an X-Force situation with the Suicide Squad? Part of me hopes they do, but the other part of me feels like it will be redundant. Thoughts? Thanks and keep up the great work. Jacob, I'm going to be honest with you. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, what? Like, why do I feel they're about to pull an X-Force situation with Suicide Squad? In what way? Like, I, I, I don't know, Rob. Do you know what it is Jacob is referring to when he says, why I do I feel they're about to pull an X-Force? Well, the, killing all the members of the X-Force in the beginning. So you only have a core group left or, you know, a few dudes. You know, everybody got massacred. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what it could mean. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, they, they killed off a couple in uh, the first Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, though, I think there's going to be a lot of cannon fodder in the Suicide Squad film. But I think 
you know, you're going to have to build the squad first. I don't think they're going to be all killed in the opening. Um, uh, but we'll see. Like, maybe during a training sequence. I don't know. But I, all I know is I think it's going to be wildly entertaining no matter what we get. Because, look, there are a lot of characters. When you yeah. looked at that, at that um, panel for Suicide oh, Squad yeah. and they brought out all the ca- – it's like there's like 18 people there. Right. Rob, if you had to put money on the character that will die first, like if you had to say, okay, who knows? Maybe they all live, but, but if there's one guy's guy, this is the one that's going to die first. Who do you think it's going to be? Polka Dot Man. I agree. I think it's going to be, even though I think James loves the character, I think it's going to be Polka yeah. Dot Man. Yeah. Or, right. or yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think or, it's good. Or he might be cheeky and Polka Dot Man is the last man standing. <laughs> Could be. Could be. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Jesse writes, if you are justice, please do not lie. What is the price of your blind eye? I'm so glad the Riddler's finally getting another shot on the big screen. I very much didn't care for carries, and I always thought he could have been a uh, had great cinematic potential. Hey, listen, you know what? I didn't mind Jim Carrey's for the movie he was in. You know, when you look at that world that that Batman movie took place in and that that circumstance, then Jim Carrey's Riddler wasn't bad. But you're right. The Riddler's always kind of been treated a certain way. And even if you look at something like the Gotham TV series, like the way they did Riddler there, their Edward Nigma there was kind of weird. But, oh, man, going like a a seven sort of villain feel for it with Paul Dano who I still argue to this day would be considered like more people would be talking about Paul Dano because he gave one of the great performances in a long time and there will be blood. But unfortunately for him, he was in a movie with the greatest actor of all time who happened to give in my estimation, the greatest performance of all time uh, with Daniel day Lewis. But uh, yeah, man, Jesse, dude, that's going to, it's that character is going to be so balls. It's going to be so balls. All right. Next up. Coba writes, I know the movies will not be linked to the Snyder Cut, but if it does well, could HBO Max do more with it? Maybe let Snyder do a sequel. Here's the thing. Everybody, I've been getting a thousand questions, Rob, about, hey, if the Snyder Cut on HBO Max is awesome and everybody loves it, will it be doing this? And of course, my argument was we've already gotten a couple of Zack Snyder movies, uh, his DC movies that have been out there and half the audience hated it and half the critics hated it. I don't know why that would magically change. I don't think HBO Max is looking at this as any kind of a long-term thing, but winning cures everything. And if, if for whatever reason, if, and I think it's a stretch, but if, you know, H, it comes out on HBO Max and Everybody who never did like Zack Snyder's iteration, all these misguided people who didn't like Man of Steel. I'm just kidding. It's all subjective. You're allowed to not like Man of Steel. But if all of a sudden, magically, people suddenly appreciated Zack Snyder's take on the DCU that didn't like it before. Look, that's the beautiful thing about life, man. Everything changes. So I don't think they have long term plans for it, but that can change. That can change quick. When people smell money, weird things can happen. Rob, what do you think? Uh, I agree with you. And I think, like you just said, if there's money involved and money to be made, uh, <laughs> things change. Yep. Suddenly you're available. I was tied up Friday, but there's money to be made. I'm free. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It right, ain't next, show friends, it's show business. Show business. An anonymous viewer writes, much like when Lawrence Fishburne played Perry White in uh, Man of Steel. Oh, Man of Steel. <laughs> a little bit of a typo there. Um, much like when Lawrence Fishburne played Perry White in Man of Steel, it took me all of three seconds to expect Jeffrey... I think you meant to say accept to accept Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon. I know it's only the trailer, but he just feels right for the role. Dude, with the moment, Rob, you remember you were on the show with me when when the news came out that Jeffrey Wright was going to be Gordon. I'm yeah. like, I, I listen, I, I'm not a I don't care about X actor and X role, but Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon is just one of those planets aligning kind of castings to me. Uh, I mean, as as great as the idea of J.K. Simmons playing J. Jonah Jameson, it, it, it is it's borderline perfect. So I've been excited about him playing that ever since. And again, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, Rob. We never really saw him do much in the trailer yet. Right. But it felt pretty good. What do you think about uh, now that you've seen the trailer? What do you think about Jeffrey Wright being Gordon? I'm in. I you know I I I think it's great. I love I love Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter in the uh, Bond films. I think he's really good. I've and liked of course, I, I've liked him for a long, long, long time. And of course, he's going to be in the new Bond film once again. Um, so there's yeah. Is absolutely. there a new Bond film, John? I heard rumors. I heard rumors. Who knows? We'll see. It's not real till it's in theaters. I wish somebody could say I heard a rumor that you'll release No Time to Die on pay per view, <laughs> and I'd love to see something come out of someone's mouth and go into Barbara Broccoli's head. Little Umbrella Academy there. I know. Little Umbrella Academy there. I like it. All right. Cameron Ross writes, hey, John, do you think DC should stick to fandom every year and skip DC San Diego Comic-Con or was it not a big enough success? Personally, I think it was great and could see them uh, apart from Marvel just to be an event about DC. I mean, it's it's possible, but you got to take a couple things into consideration. And I heard one of the guys from um, one of the AT&T guys was talking about this, saying, look, one of the things we understand is that one of the things contributing to uh, whatever success that DC fandom had was the fact that it was the first thing we've gotten in six months. It's the circumstances we're in. It's the situation that we're in. That's why what I was saying off the top of today's show it was really such a gift. It was really a gift. If everything's back to normal, is this the best way to go? I, I don't know that I think that. I don't know that I think that because here's the thing. You know, you look at something like what I can see DC doing, Rob is doing something like what Marvel does and what Disney does. Disney has their own event, D23. Could I see DC and Warner Brothers doing their own thing that's an actual physical in-person thing? Like next year in Florida, we are having DC Fandom and they turned the convention center in Florida into like the DC Fandom. Because I'll tell you what, when they were, even during fandom, they were showing clips of like the Brazil Comic Con when you've got thousands of fans there. And it's like, you can just, even watching it remotely, the energy level difference from watching a panel that's being done in front of 6,000 screaming fans is a way better experience, even just watching it on my computer monitor, than watching five people on Zoom in an edited, pre recorded sort of thing. Ultimately, the thing we care about is when they play the trailer. I mean, that's ultimately what everybody cares about. But the live event, even if I have to watch it on my computer monitor, is always better. It's always the, the energy is there. You can feel it. It's better. So I don't know 
if when the circumstances are different, if DC wants to stick to this, this online press event, or if maybe, because listen, Marvel and DC have had, or sorry, Marvel and Disney have had tremendous success with D23. And it like takes over the news cycle for like three or four days when D23 happens and all that kind of stuff. I could see DC fandom continuing as its own thing, but actually making it a physical in-person thing and then put all the trailers and everything out online after they happen there. Give it the real energy of a live event with real fans. I could see them doing that. Um, so I don't know, Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, look – why not? This could be I, – I think this has changed a lot of things. And and one of, one of, one of the things that we saw about Fandom is that, you know, even if you're in Hall H, you can only get six or 7,000 people in there. This was a global event that they were able to drum up uh, interest and excitement. I mean, who didn't tune into this and who wasn't watching it? The bang they got for their buck, I don't know how much they spent on this thing. I don't know what the budget was, but it was worth it. Why go back? Why do anything other than this from now on? I see. I, I, my main argument about it is next year, fingers crossed, we're not going to be living in a pandemic where nobody's had anything for six months. And I think right. if, if, if Disney does, because listen, D23 is better than DC fandom. It's just much better. They put on the you're at these great events, all this kind of stuff, but it's live and in person. Brazil Comic Con is better than than DC fandom. But you take DC fandom and you make it an actual event where people can go and you have screaming fans in the audience, and then you take those panels and you put them up online later. Because that's the thing, like at the end of the day, so you gotta remember DC fandom was not really DC fandom was not an event. It was they took a bunch of things that they pre-recorded weeks in advance, carefully right. edited together, and just happened to drop it on YouTube at the same time. Then they just drop it, dropped it on streaming in a particular order. It wasn't really an event. They weren't actually hanging out with the fans. It was they recorded this weeks in advance, blah, blah. I think you take what they did at Fandom. And then they take it one step further and actually create their own actual event. And then, and then learn the lessons that they learned from this digital streaming and incorporate the digital aspect. Make sure people can go there and be there in person. And then people like you and me can watch it on our computer monitors as well. I, I just think you can get a best of both worlds situation. But you, I don't know. But, you know, it's hard. Like if you were to have a live audience, like I'm a huge fan of the Graham Norton show, mm. the British talk show. Yeah, he's that great, actually. He's great, but he gets like three and four people together, and I, I could see – and he has a huge audience, a huge studio audience. So even if it was live, a live event, watching it uh, after the fact on the internet, it's going to seem – how do you make it different from, say, a talk show or when Conan O'Brien goes to Comic-Con? It's still ultimately, you know, you've got the fans there, they're watching and you've got the, the, the knowledge and the noise of a crowd, the knowledge that an audience knows the crowd's there, but it's still people sitting down and talking. And uh, how do you make it that much better than what we got? The live audience component can add to it, but it's still just going to wind up being a very talk show-esque environment, I think. 
I don't know because like when when I watch some of like like that Brazilian Comic Con stuff where where Wonder Woman did some stuff and everything, right? There's such a fundamental difference. Like when when uh, 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 Chris Pine walks out on stage and you hear the. <sighs> Well, you no, hear the it's, crowd, it's true. and when Gal walks on stage, and I'm telling you, as somebody watching, because I wasn't in Brazil, we got to go to that Brazil Comic Con someday. By the Dude, way, that I thing, really want to go. That thing looks like it's getting crazy. But even just as as a schlub sitting down watching it on my computer monitor, I'm getting I, my hair, uh, the hair on my arm stands up. I get chills. You know, you just feel like you're in that environment, and it was so fundamentally different than six boxes with different people on zoom hi guys hi a pre-recorded zoom conversation it was it was still fun when they dropped the trailer but then when i watched the wonder woman thing that they did at the brazil comic-con i'm like this is fun to watch like this yeah. is so cool and the energy is there and it just i feel like it just gives it more pop that's why i think d23 is so great but I, I again i don't think it's an either or rob i i think they take some of the big wins that they had like some of the the fundamental lessons they learned from the exclusively digital experience and they make it a both and they figure out a way to capture that magic that they had in brazil and incorporate it into the worldwide event feel of a way to translate that into digitally and i think you can get a best of both worlds thing so i i just know that they've had tremendous success at disney with d23 i think dc and warner brothers can do it every bit as well and make it really fun but either way I, I think we're whether it's only exclusively dropping news and trailers with pre-recorded, you know, messages from people next year, or if they incorporate a live element to it, one way or another, one shape or another, I think DC fandom is going to be something that they replicate again. In whichever form it is, I'm not sure yet, but I, I just don't see there being a reason not to do it again. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next up, we have... Was that Terry? Um... No, no, this now it's Terry. So that was Cameron. Yes. Now we're at Terry who writes, hi, John, DC fandom was great and looking forward to uh, all that is to come. I hear the Batman will push from June to October. Yes, because they are they were delayed in their filming. They got cut off on their filming. They push it just a couple of months. So they only push it a couple of months. It's now coming out in October of 2021. Uh, got IMAX early screen screening tickets for tenant uh, road trip new jersey to pennsylvania for this one no easy task these days with limited seats and theaters your tenant plans i don't actually have tenant plans yet i got my i got my uh, new mutants plans but i don't have my tenant plans yet i do need to make that soon but yes you are right they had a couple of days ago they announced that they moved it to october again no big deal not unexpected because their shooting was delayed by four or five months so they Push the release date by just a couple of months. All good. Not that we don't have to wait that much longer, Terry. And I hope you have fun, man. Mad Chad writes, John, Patreon supporter here. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter, Mad Chad. So excited for the Batman movie. Trailer looks great. Feels like seven. We've talked about that a lot. Set in Gotham, which is amazing to me. So excited for Paul Daniels Riddler. And you know what? I have a feeling, Rob, and I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that because Dano was robbed of some of his much-deserved credit and adulation for There Will Be Blood, because his performance, I think he did get an Academy Award nomination, but even that was overshadowed by Daniel Day-Lewis's performance. I'm really hoping that this is going to be a vessel that gives Paul Dano his due and really makes him a front and center star to a lot of people because he is insanely talented. Did you ever see that one, uh, like that Beach Boys? Uh, what was the name of it again? I, he did it with... Um, John, oh yeah, 
I did see that. Why am I drawing a blank on the name of the movie? Uh, it wasn't called Brian Wilson. It was called. No, no. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. And he it did wasn't it with Smile. Well, he did that. Well, that was with John Cusack too, right? Didn't he do that one with John Cusack? I, can't, I might be thinking of a different co-star, but it was that. Yeah, I can't remember. But anyway, Dano, awesome. Go check it out. All right, Curtis Lopez writes. I'd say DC fandom was a success. A lot of fans, including myself, enjoyed a lot of these panels, and the event got a lot of buzz. Over under fifty percent. DC fandom becomes an annual event. Uh, love and mercy. Thank you. That's the one. Pal Dano, love and mercy uh, becomes an annual event. Uh, if it's only a one-time thing, I understand because of this year's circumstances. Again, I think what DC should look at doing is amalgamating all the best of what the live events are because the live events 100% always better um, with all the stuff they were able to do with the digital worldwide aspect of it. I think they need to find a way to marry the two. But again, like I just said, uh, Curtis, I think they're going to find a way. They will continue on with this. I think the form of it may change a little bit, but I think one way or another, they'll find a way to kind of move on with this. Uh, uh, I'm an R writes. Hello, John. I was browsing HBO Max's Instagram and happened to see a random comment from a person on one of the Snyder Cut related posts, which says Batfleck versus Deathstroke, please. And HBO's response was one thing at a time. What's your take on this? I think it means absolutely nothing. Uh, you know me. I am dying for w for WB to go back to Ben and say, hey, you know, hey, Ben, you worked two years on making this Batman movie. You had it like the cast and everything. You were ready to go. Ah, go ahead and do it. I hope they do. But honestly, that little that little a comment left there means nothing. It, it absolutely means nothing. That doesn't mean the thing in and of itself can't be great, but that in and of itself means nothing. Uh, Rogue Mammoth writes, Robert Pattinson dressed like a bat. <laughs> I dig it. Uh, Rob, a little bit of a... A little bit of a Jason Momoa Justice League line there, just like a bat. I dig it. Um, but on, I don't know if I got your take because, you know, when we talked about the uh, the trailer, I don't know if I got your take specifically on what did you think of the costume? Like, uh, what do you think of the costume of the Batman? My, What do I think? Yeah. What was your take on the costume? I, you know, I, I, well, first of all, one of the things I thought was great about the costume was, again, how quickly and fast he could move in it. You know, and, and, and we, you know, we're, we're all, you know, we all think like Batman, the animated series or something like that is the classic costume. And everyone talks about, well, the shape of the cowl. But but in the real world, this is a they said it was Batman year two. So he's still trying to figure this stuff out. And I I really I thought he looked good. I like the way the costume moved. Again, we didn't we didn't get like the hero full body shot of it in bright light where we could really see what it looked like, but I thought it fit the footage that we saw. You know? Yeah, and you know what else? I remember uh, uh, Matt Reeves talked in the preamble leading up to them releasing the trailers like, hey, we also talked to Robert. We needed to make sure he could actually move in this thing. And uh, ever since you go back to the Michael Keaton Batman where – the neck and the shoulders were connected and he had to do this. That's become a, a greater source of emphasis. But it really, you're right. It looked like he moved very fluidly in it. And it looks like they did a good job on it that and way. And also, even in the Nolan Batman movies, we saw the evolution of how Bruce Wayne came to the costume. He first yeah. was like using spelunking stuff. And then he moved from there into the memory foam. And so it's an evolutionary process. And I'm sure that's part of this movie as well. All right, we move on. Next up is um, Austin Alberto writes, John, the boy season two Rotten Tomatoes film score dropped with a 92%. I am so excited for the show. Does this increase your excitement for it as well? Uh, no. Odd oddly, no. 
because my excitement for the boys season two is already completely off the chart. I I, I just I just finished rewatching season one again with Ann and Kaori, and I I don't think it, it could have come out with a hundred percent. It wouldn't have been, like it's my excitement level's already at its ceiling. That's just what it is. I cannot wait for this thing to come out. I am dying to see it. But uh, I mean, hey, and is it good news or bad news to hear it get a 92? Obviously, it's good. We're like two uh, weeks away from it, too. Oh, dude. Dude, I'm so excited. I am so excited. All right. Aaron Jones writes, I love the I am vengeance line because you could feel the rage and meaning uh, meaning in his voice. Also, Cheetah has that the amazing Spider-Man 2 electro grudge vibe. Uh, then you get more attention over me kind of vibe. Uh, a little bit. I mean, we know that. What's her name? Barbara. Um, Barbara is more of a meek person who kind of looks at somebody like Diana with the, the, the fashion and the gorgeous looks and all that kind of stuff. And she kind of wishes she could be her. And there probably creates a bit of anonymity, uh, and, and jealousy and whatever. And, and you're right. There is a little bit of electro to that, but I don't think they're going to go completely that route. I mean, if you look at Patty Jenkins, the way she handles characters, I think it'll be more nuanced and a little bit more layered. There'll be more to it than just that. I think you're going to find out a lot more about Kristen Wiig's character that it's not just, oh, I wanted to be Diana and therefore I'm going to become a supervillain. I think there's going to be more to it than that, than there was for Electro. But you're not wrong, Aaron. It does have those vibes. Uh, Don Pesulima. Don Pesulima writes, Hey, John and Rob, I was really hoping for Ava DuVernay and Tom King's New Gods uh, movie to pop up during DC fandom. I read Tom King's Mr. Miracle and fell in love with that universe. Do you know any updates about the movie? I don't. But Rob, you know, I've been saying for a while that, you know, it was just about a month ago or maybe two months ago that Ava DuVernay came out and said, hey, her and this writer are still working on it and blah, blah, blah. I, at best... I think this is a 50-50 proposition that this movie ever happens because they started talking about this movie a year ago. And yeah. we just had DC fandom come and gone with no mention of it. Like, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't recall there being one reference to New Gods, one re- to the movie project New Gods, or one reference to this project. I don't think things look good, but I've been doubtful for a long time. Again, I'd say it's a, it's a pure coin toss right now whether the movie happens. Rob, where is your expectation as far as this movie actually happening? And did its absence, do you think its absence from DC fandom makes a statement? What do you think? Well, look, I like Ava DuVernay a great deal. I I dare say I have a bit of a crush on her, actually. But um, this is a tough, New Gods is a really tough proposition. First of all, tonally. Obviously, Dark Side is part of the New Gods, but the New Gods, the whole Kirby Fourth World, that's a really tough nut to crack. You're not just doing Mr. Miracle, but I mean, Steppenwolf and Dark Side are all part of that. It's to do a movie, that's it's hard. That's a hard thing to do. And uh, I think it's a really difficult thing to crack. And I don't know if Ava, Ava DuVernay is the actual best person to do it, but you know, um, it didn't surprise me. I think this is a long way off from getting made. I think this is a big leap to make this movie. But, you know, you never know. If she comes up with a great take, maybe it's going to be her Guardians of the Galaxy. But I still think it's it's a long way off from happening. 
All right, and I see some people in the live chat kind of saying, well, in the Justice League Snyder Cut thing, no, no, no. There's references to the characters you might see, but there's no reference to the project itself. That's what I'm saying. I, I didn't see, and again, if you guys know of any references in DC fandom where they specifically mentioned the Ava DuVernay project, please email it to me. I at John at the John show.com. That's John at the John show.com. I would, I would really love to see it, but I, I, like I said, I didn't catch it myself. All right. Next up, uh, Multani writes, this is completely out of the blue, but what do you guys and chat think of these two casting choices based off appearance for now? Uh, Milo Gibson for Wolverine. Um, I don't know who Milo Gibson is. Uh, and uh, uh, Dakri Montgomery from Power Rangers for the Human Torch. Basically, Milan, I, I don't do what do you think about X actor and X roles. Um, I, I always say the exact same thing. As long as X actor is a talented actor, fine. I have met uh, Dakri. And he's a good kid. He actually came into studio once uh, to, do a, to do a game with us. Good kid. Liked him. Um he was also in Stranger Things season two, or was it three? I, you know, Stranger Things, I, or maybe both. At any rate, he was, uh, you know, the lifeguard, good-looking kid who tries to make a move on the other kid's mom. Anyway. Yeah, um, and then he turns into the villain, the creature. Yes. Good uh, good kid. I, I I have too limited of an exposure to, to his acting, although I liked him in, in Power Rangers and I liked him in, in Stranger Things. I have no idea who Milo Gibson is, so I can't answer that. But, but basically, I don't care. Rob, do you have any kind of uh, impression on that? No, I mean, I like that guy as an act. It's, it's, his name is like Dakin, Dakin something. I always call him Daker or Dakery. Daker, or Daker. Yeah, I don't know. It's, but I, I really liked him. I think he looks good. I mean, um, uh, I like him as a presence. I'd, I'd be curious to see, but that's really all I know him from. So I don't know what yeah. his range is. Like I said, but good you know. kid, too. Like he came in, so he was a good kid. I really liked him. I, I, I enjoyed I him did quite too. a bit. All right, we just got time for a couple more with Rob still here. Man of Steel Rules writes, I've been reading up a lot on the 1978 Superman movie, surprising to learn that Marlo Brando refused to learn his lines and berated the other actors. In the baby scene, a producer wrote the lines on the back of the baby's diapers for Brando to read the line. I had... I don't listen. I'm somebody who appreciates the 1978 Superman. I don't know a lot of the history of it. Rob, were you? I know you're a little bit more well versed in the original Superman movie than me. Uh, did you ever hear anything like that about oh, that? Or dude. Other? dude, when I was working on Superman Returns, they had all the well, not all of it, but they had a lot of Marlon Brando footage that wasn't used. And I even have some of it where he doesn't know his lines. And there's one great moment. I put it in the blooper reel, but I think they made me take it out. Where he goes, Kal-El, whatever your name is, Ralph, I don't know. And he, he gives the finger. Does he actually say that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ralph, whatever your name is. It's very funny. But, I mean, the funny thing about Brando is you give him a line reading and he can turn it into something magical. But they used a lot of that footage to recreate the CG elements of Jarrell for Superman Returns. So seeing that footage was really interesting. But yeah, it was he was mumbling and stumbling around, and it's it's pretty hilarious. Uh, all right, let's move on here. Uh, next one up is Andrew Christie, who writes, "Hey John, super excited for the Batman after the trailer dropped on Saturday. This has turned into one of my most anticipated movies since Batman versus Superman. Is it just me, or is anyone else getting major season one Daredevil vibes? Again, I I don't know. I I can see why you would make that connection. Me, it's more of a seven thing. What is 
and I suspected this would happen, Rob, when the first trailer dropped. But I suspected, suspected that once the first trailer dropped, the throngs of the Twilight Boy is Batman. I, I suspected they would disappear. And they have. They're gone. Yeah. Um, now, and listen, which is weird because you really didn't see Robert Pattinson acting in the trailer, right? Like, we didn't really see him other than do a growl. But we've been telling people since the day he was cast, dude, in the last six, seven years, he has turned into one of the most respected, sought-after actors in the business. He has become an elite-level actor. Um, I, We didn't really get to – he didn't get a chance to showcase that much in the trailer uh, other than go – and go, I'm vengeance. I mean, that was really it. But I, I, I had a feeling that once the first trailer dropped, the the Twilight Boy, uh, people would disappear. And I think once, once they actually see him in the role, uh, they see him acting. When they see him acting in this, because a lot of people, look, a lot of people just go see the blockbusters. They didn't go to see, you know, Good Time or High Life or The Rover or whatever. They didn't go to see. Um, Lost City of Z and they didn't get they, they didn't have a chance to see all this incredible work that Robert Pattinson has done since his Twilight days and I get it if all you ever saw of Robert Pattinson was him playing Twilight and whatever his name was in Harry Potter if that's all you ever saw I get I understand the skepticism I do but if you have watched his stuff that he has done since those are the people who were good with his, him being cast. The people who saw his stuff post Twilight were the people who were good at being cast. R Rob, have, have you noticed that? Have you noticed the difference in tone ever since that? Like, it just seems to be the atmosphere has changed ever since the Batman trailer dropped. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so too. And, you know, the idea that you're making fun, that'd be like, well, I'm not going to talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt because he was on Third Rock, 30, Third Rock from the Sun. I mean, it's I love like, what are you going to? I know you're going to define an actor by a role. The thing is, Twilight was a huge franchise that made a lot of money. So, what are you making fun of? That he was a sparkly vampire? What? I mean, that was a huge, big deal. And the fact that he's managed his career so well and he's reinvented himself over and over again and proven that he's such a great dramatic actor, I think is fantastic. So, yeah, I don't think anyone after this is going to be talking about Twilight. In it. And why would you talk about it in a disparaging context? It made a lot of money and people loved it. Anyway, Rob, I know you've got things you've got to run off and do. You have projects you're working on that I am aware of. So listen, in the meantime, my friend, where can people find you in your adventures online? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube show. Uh, what is it called? Observations or my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. Always an honor and privilege having you here. And I will talk to you again later, man. All right. I'll see Take care. All right, guys, that was Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Now, we still got about uh, 20 minutes to take your questions, so let's get right back to it here. We're going to go with Fifty Shades of Geek who writes, Thank the Kryptonian sun god, Rao, for DC fandom. I miss getting excited from watching movie trailers and doing reaction videos so much. I almost forgot how it feels, uh, how it feels like. Listen, I tell you what, that is, that. Uh, the more I think about it, it is... I think we didn't appreciate, including me, especially when it was happening, that this is the first time in almost half a year that we've had a chance to have a bunch of trailers drop and actually talk about movies and things. And it was like brand new stuff, a new thing. It, it, it really was 
you know, the Batman trailer is great. All the other things are great. But really, ultimately, at the end of the day, and I didn't think about this going into it. And I didn't even think about it while it was happening. It wasn't until after the fact that I realized, you know what? That was such a gift. That de- the, Just having the event itself was such a gift for those of us who are film fans. Just having, whether you're a DC fan or not, just having something to really rally around and talk about and celebrate about movies when there is nothing else going on. I mean, it really was such a gift. It, it really, really was. And, and, you know, as a bonus, we got the Batman trailer. We got our Suicide Squad footage and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's all there. All right, next up. We've got uh, uh, Loki Doki. I like that name, right? I'm no doubt in the minority here, but I don't think Phoenix was anything like the Joker. And I couldn't help but view Joker as a movie about some random clown. Could you elaborate on how you felt uh, felt like he, how he felt like the Joker? Because I don't feel the resembled comic Joker at all. I, I totally did. And, and here's the thing. You got to understand. They started Joker before we know him as the Joker, right? And to me, so it was to me, we, we saw Joker here in this movie in, in a context in a way we've never seen Joker. Like even in the comics, they've had like five different types of origin stories and Joker himself says, ah, who knows which one is real, right? Like even he doesn't ever definitively say what it is. So we got a chance to see Joker in a context that we've never really seen done before. Not really. And you could see to me the seeds of Joker in there, the madness, the 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 nihilism, uh, well, that was a big part of it. You see all the seeds that manifest in what we then become known as like kind of a classic Joker. But to me, that was all there. And that's why for me personally, it rang so legitimately. Like watching it, I was like, this is totally unlike any Joker, but I could totally see this is, this is the seed. This character... Um, becomes is the seed of what sprouts into what is the Joker later. I totally saw it myself, and it was a different iteration. But I I thought all the 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 fundamental ingredients were there, and that's one of the reasons why I like the movie so much, um, and why it worked for me. But hey, listen, we all look at these movies and they hit us differently. And just because I saw it that way doesn't mean you need to see it that way, or that your experience would have been the same as mine. So it didn't work for you. Totally cool. Totally fine. But that's why it, it did work for me. Thanks for writing in and asking, Loki Doki. Right next up, an anonymous viewer writes, So no matter who wins the Stanley Cup or World Series, etc., this year I feel like there will be some people who try to diminish the accomplishment on the account of the shortened seasons, although fans of anything will always find something to complain about. No, you're not wrong. Like I think any of any of the, the major sports, whether it's by the way, I don't think baseball is even going to finish their season, to be honest, uh, the way they've mismanaged the, the virus stuff. But whether it's NBA, Stanley Cup, whatever, honestly, even if the Leafs had won the Stanley Cup this year, I would have taken it. But even I would have told you, you got to put a little bit of an asterisk beside it. You had a four-month break, and then you're playing in unusual circumstances, and the season was interrupted. All momentums were lost, all that kind of stuff. I I would have taken it, but I do feel like, to be honest with you, while I'm glad the sports is back and I'm glad the NBA, the NBA is looking as exciting as ever, all that kind of stuff, and the hockey is great, but I, I will admit, I'm glad they're doing it, but you're, I feel like you're going to have to put a little bit of an asterisk beside the names of whoever the champions of the various leagues end up being. That, that's just me. 
And that's not a complaint. I'm just saying, yeah, to be fair, I think you got put a little bit of an asterisk there because it's not normal circumstances. Anyway, MD writes, I have seen so many comments the last few days of people trashing on Nolan Bale, uh, Nolan slash Bale's Batman. Well, they're idiots. Uh, like all of a sudden they're bad now. Yes. Reeves's Batman looks awesome, but that doesn't mean everything before it is no longer valid in its own greatness. I hate that at you. I, first of all, I got to tell you, I have not seen that myself. I haven't seen anybody suddenly trashing on the Nolan Batman films. And by the way, when I say, when I say they're idiots, obviously I'm saying that in fun because it's all subjective. People like or dislike whatever they like or dislike. Well, that's a pretty stupid thing to say. The, the, like, the Dark Knight is one of the great movies. It is like not just one of the. It's not just a top three greatest comic book film of all time. It's like a, truly one of the great movies. Um, but here's the problem: within fandom, and we have seen this in Marvel versus DC. We have seen this in 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 like what any type of movie fandom in particular, right? Some people are so weak-minded that they feel in order for me to elevate one thing, I have to diminish the other. Now, look, all film is subjective. There are people who legitimately didn't like The Dark Knight. That's fair. There are people who legitimately just don't like the original Star Wars. That's fair. I think it's crazy, but it's fair. You're allowed to. That's, that's the subjectivity of film. However... There is also undeniably um, people who bring agendas to it. There, there is. And it's like, oh, for me to elevate what's going on in DC right now in my beloved DCU, I've got to trash the other things that are seen as better. Whether that's Marvel films or even if that's other DC properties that aren't within the current DCEU. Some people do that. And, and it's not just DC fans. It's Marvel fans do it. Star Wars fans do it. Harry Potter fans do it. You name it. But, but it is, unfortunately, one of the weaker elements of our fandom. There will always be some people who feel like, in order for me to legitimize my love of something, I have to trash something else. We've seen that in the Marvel and the DC corporate zombie slaves right i like marvel therefore i have to trash anything dc does i like dc so i have to shit talk anything marvel does uh no you're allowed to love something and still be cool that other things are loved and other things can be great i i mean it is what it is fortunately for me md i have not seen this trashing of nolan's movies uh, or of uh, particularly of Dark Knight and Batman Begins. I haven't personally seen that yet, but hopefully that doesn't become a growing trend because that's just stupid. That's just stupid. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, man. Uh, my films are for, <laughs> my films are for adults. Writes in one. I totally agree with your point about Marvel action being used to amplify the story thread. With the airport scene, Cap's team wanted to fly to Russia, while Iron Man's team was there to arrest them instead of leaving the uh, uh, leaving to the authorities. The ensuing fight. Uh, the ensuing fight is just a result of that and already built up tensions. In other words, a means to an end uh, for both teams' objectives. This is why they are pulling. They are. They were pulling their punches. Uh, they weren't trying to kill each other. Uh, just achieve their objective, which is what makes it great. Well, yes, and by the way, the airport scene, the other thing that makes it great isn't just that there was narrative purpose for their immediate objectives. There was narrative purpose for the history of what went on. This is the Avenger. These are people who fought side by side. 
And for numbers of films leading up to this one, there had been some tension between, you know, Steve and Tony. Right. And, and all this kind of stuff. So you, it's, it's, it's everything. It's the current objectives. It's the history of the characters. All this stuff is being played out in the action. And that's what elevates action from just being visual noise to being truly thrilling and exciting in a movie when it's a part of, when it has narrative purpose. So uh, it's a good observation, man. All right. Next up, uh, Zayn writes, Hey, John. They said that man is doing a prequel for Heat. Well, he said he's looking at it. Uh, my question is, do you think that it's going to be two movies? Because it's kind of weird if one movie is about two characters that's never going to meet in the movie. What do you think? Heat equals great. I, I honestly, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I'll be honest with you. No studio ever came out, if I remember correctly, and it's been a while since that story. If I remember correctly off the top of my head. There, no studio had ever greenlit such a thing. Like, like I think Mann said he was working on something like that, that he was writing something like that. But for every hundred things that get written, one gets made into a movie, right? So I don't expect it's going to happen at all. So whether it's two movies or none is, is, is kind of moot. So I don't really think it's going to happen at all. I mean, maybe Mann does write it and releases it as a novel of some sorts, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. All right, Scott Brown writes, I'm a very big Batman fan and have been since I was nine and read uh, Dark Knight Returns 30 years. I love the Batman trailer. It felt like the Batman movie I've always wanted. And I disagree with you on the vengeance line when it said when he said it, I yelped and got goosebumps. And that's cool. Like, by the way, there's a lot of people who like that vengeance line. And I love the trailer. But, you know, I'll be honest, there's a part of it. That's the other stupid thing about fandom. It's like, well, you either have to love it all unconditionally and say everything about it is perfect or else you're a hater. Get the fuck out of here, you six-year-old. Anyway, um, yeah, I love the trailer. I do. But there were a couple of parts that didn't work for me, just being honest. Um, one of the parts was the vengeance line. To me, that's a great example of a perfect line in a comic book panel. Like if you had seen that scene play out and the com and, and panel wise, like comic book panels, you see the guys, then you see the one approaching Batman, then you see another panel of Batman, boom, 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 and then the next panel, him on top and saying, "I'm vengeance." That's a perfect comic book panel, perfect. Felt a little touch cheesy to me in live action. The line itself, that one single line, that one second of the trailer, felt a little cheesy to me. But that's just me. But I'm in the minority. I think most people really did like the line and that's great. And you know what? When I watch it in context in the movie, here's a great example. Remember when Titans, remember when they dropped the first trailer for Titans and they had Nightwing going, fuck Batman. Remember that? And we were all like, oh my God, that looks so stupid. That was so stupid. But. When I watched the actual episode and you saw it in context, I was like, you know what? The, the line actually works when you see it in context. When you don't when you don't just pluck it out in a quick shot from a trailer and you actually see the line in context of everything going on, that was a great example of a line that felt totally idiotic in the trailer. But then when you saw it actually in the scene, it I actually liked it. I liked the line in the scene because it felt like it made a lot more sense. I have a feeling that vengeance line 
from the Batman trailer, even though that's like the only thing I didn't like about the Batman trailer, I have a feeling I'm probably going to have the same experience that I did with the F Batman line from Titans. I have a feeling that when I actually see it in context, in the scene, fully played out, I have a feeling it's probably going to work better for me, much like Nightwing's line did in Titans. But we'll wait and see. Uh, anyway, I'm glad you liked it, man. And yes, the trailer was fantastic. The tone of it, the feel of it. Um, I, I feel like they've nailed the character. I, I, I love, I'm loving the seven vibe I'm getting from it. There's just so much to like about it. All right, Scott McScottington writes, Hey, John, I have one simple question today. When in the goddamn hell are they going to release a Godzilla versus Kong trailer? Seriously? I'm literally shitting myself uh, in both anger and anticipation for this. Surely they have something. Oh, God, they should. Listen, sorry, Scott. I I'll say it. They should not put out a trailer for it. That movie's still nine. I think it's nine months away. The movie's still nine months away. And listen, they so there's no... There's no need. There's no purpose to put it out now. Look, look, remember the last Godzilla movie? They've learned a lesson because they put out the a couple of trailers, not just the Comic-Con one. They followed it up. They put out this big, amazing Comic-Con trailer of Godzilla King of the Monsters, a movie that was still a year away. And here's what you got to understand, I think. Buzz is not self-sustaining. Buzz is a diminishing resource, right? You Buzz enters the atmosphere, but it starts to evaporate. You need to not only create buzz, but you have to time your buzz because you need buzz crescendoing as you're going into the release of the film. What happened with Godzilla King of the Monsters, they put out that first trailer, everybody got excited, everybody buzzed. They blew their load. And they blew their load early. And what happened was all that buzz evaporated and it disappeared. And then they kept out putting more trailers and more trailers and more trailers. And what they realized was they had already blown their load. And then when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out, Everybody's like, huh, how come not, not people aren't rushing out to see it? Because they blew their load too early as far as the buzz and the momentum and all that energy goes. The movie Godzilla vs. Kong is still nine months away. Maybe eight, but I think it's still nine months away. It would be a, it would be a strategic mistake for them to start putting out trailers right now. It, it, I think it would be a strategic error. And I think they learned that lesson from Godzilla King of the Monsters. So I wouldn't expect to see a Godzilla versus Kong trailer for another two, maybe three months, maybe longer, but now watch five minutes after today's show is done. They drop a Godzilla versus Kong trailer, but yeah, I, I think it would be a mistake. I think they, they need to get a wait till it's like six or five months out before you start dropping that stuff. Otherwise they're going to suffer the same fate that they did last time. All right, next up. Isaac Beebe writes, in general, my mom is not interested in the slightest in comic book slash superhero stuff, but she loves the Nolan Batman trilogy. Nice. I showed her the Batman teaser and told her it was a Batman meets Sherlock with him solving riddles, clues, and she said, I'm in. Listen, you tell people this is a detective thriller set in the vein of seven. And there's a mystery with a superhero slant to it. It sells itself. It sells itself. You know, Matt Reeves told us he was making this kind of movie. Remember I talked about the four checkboxes? That trailer checked off every single one. 
it, it feels like it's delivering on that promise, Isaac. And I, I, along with your mom, cannot wait for this thing. All right, Isaac also writes, I'm glad that Disney decided to put Hamilton on Disney Plus so I could finally see it here in Australia. And I absolutely loved it. But I also do hope it comes to cinemas eventually as well because I would love to attend a sing-along screening of it. Here's what won't happen. It won't get a big theatrical release because it's already on Disney Plus. So it's not going to do that. But, you know, Things like Sound of Music and Beauty and the Beast, always in little select theaters. They'll, they'll, you know, local cities will have like a special screening one night where they do a sing along. I have no doubt, Isaac, I have no doubt that that will happen with Hamilton. When? Not sure, but I'm sure it'll happen. It won't be like, uh, you know, on 600 theaters across. No, no, no. It'll be like one city will have one, then another city will do one. Then, you know, kind of, kind of like in LA, like once a year, there's a, um, a um, sound of music sing-along thing that happens like once a year at one particular place. I think you'll probably see that happen with Hamilton. All right, Jojo Flabato writes, Hey, John, if you had to guess the roles, what role do you think both Ben and Michael's Batman's Batman's will play in the movie? And how would you guess Michael's is introduced? No idea how they're going to be introduced, but what roles do they play? I think they're going to play small roles. I do. I, I don't know that. I have no insider information on that. I'm just guessing. But my guess right now, until I see evidence that, you know, makes me change my mind, um, I think they're playing small roles. I think, you know, there might, I think Ben's might be a little bit more mentorish because they said, Andy Muschietti said in the Flash panel that Flash's new suit, which I don't actually think looks all that good, but whatever. Maybe I'll love it when I see it in context in the movie that his new suit was actually made for him by Bruce. So I think maybe a little bit of a mentor thing, but the thing is, I think both of them, I think are going to be small. I think they're going to be small. There are some outlets reporting that they're going to be just basically cameos. I think it'll be a little bit more than like a one or two minute cameo, but I still think they're going to be pretty small right now. I, they might not be. I'm not saying they will. They might not be, but I'm right now I'm thinking they're going to kind of be small. Uh, John Campia writes, Hello, fellow John. Assuming this is Ben's last film as Batman, who do you think will play Batman in the current DC universe? Will they find a way to get Robert's Batman to fill his place or just do a reboot or maybe even continue with the Justice League without him? Honestly, if, and it's a huge if, it's a big if, if this is Ben's last hurrah as Batman, if he is coming out of his Batman retirement just so he could do this like Harrison Ford did in The Force Awakens, he only came back so they could properly give Han Solo a, a death and give Han Solo a send-off, something he wanted ever since Return of the Jedi. If that's what they're doing with this Ben Affleck appearance, so they could send him off in a proper send-off, and we don't know that it is, but if then I just think this DCEU goes on without a Batman. Because they're going to have another Batman going on their own. They're, we're going to have the Robert Pattinson Batman in his own universe, doing his own thing. And there's plenty of other characters they can use in the DCEU proper. So my guess, and it's only a guess, is that if, and it's a huge if, this is Ben Affleck's last appearance, and they give him a send-off, which we don't know that that's the case, but if that's the case, I'm guessing that they just move forward to the DCU without a Batman in the DCU proper. Uh, Dan Ketchum writes, holy crap, that was Colin Farrell. Now that's a makeup job. I had no idea that was him. I had to have fans point out who they thought was Colin Farrell. And I looked at him like, that's not Colin Farrell. And I had to double check and I'm like, holy crap, that is Colin Farrell. Oh my God, the prosthetics on that. Dude, that looked so freaking good. That looks 
so good. And here's the thing. Did not look fake at all. Didn't look the least bit fake. All right. John Watkins writes, are we overlooking the flashpoint elephant in the room? We have two Batmans announced. Surely Keaton's role uh, could be that of Thomas Wayne, which could lend uh, to giving Batfleck that short emotional impact uh uh, input to the flashpoint letter reveal from his father okay this has been addressed but it's possible the thing is when they announced that he was coming back they said he was coming back as bruce wayne and maybe that was a, a misdirect but they did say he was coming back as bruce wayne the other thing you got to keep in mind is this everybody makes this mistake every time a comic book movie is coming out that's based on another comic that's based on a comic and they think, oh, they're doing Civil War. So it's going to be just like the comic book Civil War. No, it's not. It's totally different. Oh, they're doing X-Men Days of Future Past. Oh, it's, so it's going to be just like X-Men Days of Future Past. No, it's not. It's totally different. And right now, everybody's assuming, oh, they're doing Flashpoint. So it's going to be just like the Flashpoint animated movie. Or the, there, There's no guarantee we're even going to get Thomas Wayne in this movie. I'm not saying they won't. Don't misquote me. I'm not saying there won't be a Thomas Wayne in this one, but I'm telling you, everybody's assuming we're going to get Thomas Wayne just because he's in the other ones. Eh, guess what? Every single other than Sin City, every other comic book movie we've seen that has the name of a pre-existing comic story, they take massively different directions. So right now, I'm going on the assumption that uh, Michael Keaton is going to be a version of Bruce Wayne. Although that could be a misdirect. And that doesn't mean we can't have Thomas Wayne. I mean, hell, we've got uh, we got Negan, who was Thomas Wayne in the beginning of Batman versus Superman. He could very well come back, you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and be Thomas Wayne in the if. But we don't even know if there's going to be Thomas Wayne. But John, he wasn't. The, it doesn't matter what they did before. That doesn't mean they're going to do it here. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. We'll have to wait and find out. Uh, ben Rayner writes one of two. Hi, John. Something's been on my mind I want to share. Terms good movie, bad movie. What do they mean? Do critics liking a movie mean uh, make them good or bad? Does a person liking a movie or not liking a movie make it good or bad? Also, why do we care if a group of strangers, critics, like or dislike a movie? Now, I don't expect you to answer this complex question. I just wanted to share uh, to share. thanks for everything you do. Love your community and everything you've built. Keep on the filthy. Thank you so much, Ben. Listen, a good movie, bad movie? It's all subjective. So many people try to argue with me on this point and they're always wrong and they always lose. Film, as in all art, is purely subjective. It's purely subjective. All we can go by is really what do we think? Do I like a movie? Do you like a movie? If I like a movie, to me, the movie's good. If I dislike a movie, to me, it's bad. But that doesn't mean it's good or bad to you. Now, you can have consensus like most people think this movie is bad and most people think that movie is good, but that's fine. That's just a collection of various subjective opinions, right? As far as critics go, you know, it's the exact same reason about like I'm a tech head, right? So I, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm thinking about buying like a new tablet, I'm thinking about getting that brand new Samsung Tab S7 Plus, which looks like a beast, I currently have the uh, the iPad Pro, the 11-inch iPad Pro. But if I want to get a new tablet and I'm looking at the Samsung Tab S7 Plus, which looks like a beast, guess what? I'm not going to go out and invest my money in it unless I go to a bunch of tech reviewers and see what they think. Now, I may not end up agreeing totally with what the tech reviewers say, but they are people who've got their hands on it. 
they have a lot of experience with tech gadgets. They work with tech gadgets all the time. They immerse themselves in tech gadgets and uh, computer devices and personal electronics and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to make any kind of an investment until I go to a whole bunch of different tech reviewers and hear what they have to say. I may or may not ultimately agree with them, but if I'm going to make an investment, I want to hear what, what the tech reviewers have to say, and then I'll make my own decision. To me, watching a movie, whether it's in the movie theater or at home or whatever, you are investing your time, you're investing your money, and I think it's foolish if you're going to make an investment to not take a moment out and check to see what some other people are saying about it. Uh, same is true as if I'm going to buy a car or buy a phone or what restaurant I'm going to choose to go to. You know, everybody hops on and looks up, you know, Yelp reviews or whatever, uh, or, or what movie I'm going to go see. If I'm going to invest my time and invest some money in watching a movie, I'm going to make up my own mind like I will with a tablet I'm going to buy. But I'm first going to go to some people who I sometimes agree and sometimes disagree with that completely immerse themselves in movies. That's all they do is watch movies. They've seen far more movies than most people. And, and if they're good critics, they're good at explaining why they do or don't like a movie. My favorite critic of all time was actually Roger Ebert. And I disagreed with him half the time. But hes I love the way he communicated what he thought because the way he communicated what he thought helped me understand what I thought. So, yeah, a movie is good or bad if you think it's good or bad. Ultimately, that's the only litmus test. Uh, but why do, we, why do people go to critics? Because I think, like anything else, we want to go and hear what other people have to say who are more immersed in that stuff before we make our own decision. We just want to make an informed decision. That's why I also tell people, never just listen to one film critic. Like, I think you should have a collection of film critics that have different points of view that you listen to on a regular basis if you think they're good communicators. And so then hear out all the critics and then make up your own mind. But now you're making a little bit more of an informed decision. So anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. Anyway, guys, listen, there are still more questions to come. We've got Kevin Kindy, uh, Jesse's Bad Joke, uh, Queen of the Filthy, and a few others. Do not worry. We've run out of time, unfortunately. We've gone over two hours already. We will get to your questions. We will start off tomorrow's show with your questions. Your questions will be the first ones that we start with tomorrow. So do not worry. It's going to be addressed on the show. It's just going to be tomorrow. All right, guys. That will do it for today's installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you guys so much for being here and making this show part of your day. It truly is, and I'm not joking when I say it, it truly is an honor that you would choose to spend part of your day uh, here with us as we talk about movies and, and all that kind of stuff. So thank you guys so much for that. Thanks again to Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett for gracing us with all of his insight as well. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the live questions. Because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you very, very much for that. Guys, please do the four main things. Stay smart. Stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. My name is John Campy, my friends, and until next time, everybody, bye-bye.